puberty. Then as a poor child, then as an itinerant rabbi. 
And we too bring the gift of our treasure, of our substance, and we crown you with it. Sometimes I fear we all fall into the trap of saying, thinking that putting our money in the collection plate is for the church, can run to salaries and stipends and programs and all the rest of that. But really that second. The first purpose of our gift of treasure is to pledge allegiance to Christ our King by giving sacrificially from our store of gold. Even the poorest among us can give of his substance and once and resident of the random sand shall up being presented to the tattered, dirty, five-dollar bill somehow she managed to save it. And after all that she received from God in that place, she wanted to give back so that someone else could be helped too. As we sang in last Sunday's, Christina was at his carol in the bleak in winter. What can I give to the poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him, give him my heart? The gold reminds us that we all have to give back our gifts and that God will continue to bless us. The genius of living sacrificially is liberation from anxiety about what we have. It is the person whose hands are constantly clutching his coin who worries that he might not have enough. The person who gives generously fears not, because she knows that God will give as he has always done. Now incense is familiar to us here. Visitors sometimes tell me, even on a Sunday, that we don't use it, that they can smell it. I suppose it's in the textiles, and the stones, and the wood. And yet, we must admit, it is a very strange gift for a child. Incense was used in the ancient world for the same reason we use it, as an offering to God. The Greeks and the Romans used it as the worshippers of Isis or Mithras. The Jews used it in the temple. In the primitive church, Christians would rather die than offer a pinch of incense to the bust of the emperor because it would constitute worship of his divinity. And we have an elaborate theological justification for offering incense in our worship. We sense the altar because it is the throne of God. We sense the people because they are the body of Christ assembled around the altar. We sense the gifts of bread and wine because they are about to become God on the altar. We sense the priest because he stands in persona Christi at the altar. But all these ideas were unknown when the Christ child lay in his cot less than two years old. And there is only one conclusion to be drawn from this gift of incense. This child was divine. This child was God. Somehow the wise man mysteriously listened to God, looking for his direction. And when it come, came, they followed. And that assumes two postures that we moderns find very difficult. 
one listening to God instead of instructing him or nagging him, and two, being prepared to follow his pointing once it is discerned. Many Christians would rather give direction to God than receive it. Most of us are of the belief that there is no occasion that cannot be improved by our talking. Talking to God, talking to people, lecture, nagging, instructing, reminding, cajoling, threatening, and so on. So much talking. And when we're not talking, we're wedded to our electronic devices. <coughs> the early Mass on Christmas Eve, someone arrived early to save seats, I suppose, and I observed this person sitting in the quiet of the church watching television on her cell phone. At its root, all this talking, all this activity is because we fear God. Deep down, we don't want to hear from Him because He might have something unpleasant for us to notice, to realize, to understand, or God forbid, to do. If we ignore God, we can carry on as we have been and do as we please. This is the sin of Lucifer, of Adam, of Eve, and everyone else sins. Ignoring God leads to placing ourselves in His place, making ourselves the center of the world, and that is nothing more than pride, the deadliest and most original of all sins. And even if we do catch a glimpse of God speaking to us, if He breaks through the wall of chatter and busyness, we do our best to ignore The Magi did no such thing. They left their homes, their heart, their jobs, their possessions, with no guarantee that these things would be theirs again on return. They did so because they were listening and attentive to God, literally scouring the skies for His sign. And the minute they saw it in the heavens, they moved forward in His promise. They had no idea where they were going, no idea what they would find, no idea what it would mean, but it didn't matter. They were convinced God was leading, and that was enough, and they were pagans. What did you and I listen to God and follow Him that way? And then the third and final gift is the strangest of all, cruel and terrible in its intensity. Myrrh was used for one thing, and one thing only in the ancient world, as a spice for anointing the dead. And I can imagine that this gift struck terror into the hearts of Mary and Joseph. Imagine you going to call on a family in the newborn. Imagine that you brought a gift, and that gift is a coffin. That is the effect of this gift. It betokens death and sorrow, especially through suffering. It is a horrible gift to be bringing and inexplicable to the wise men. Now we know, through hindsight, that God is foreshadowing the life of this child, a life of suffering for others, 
of setting aside his own wishes and desires for the love of God and man. A life ending with suffering and dying a cruel death that he did not deserve. We know through hindsight that his death will issue forth in the triumph of the resurrection, but we must never for a moment minimize his passion and death. And God was willingly to undergo this for love of mankind. It makes no sense, no sense at all, unless you look at it with the eyes of love. The Magi looked with the eyes of hope, and they found a king, a king who would redress the world's injustices and rule of righteousness. They looked with the eyes of faith and saw God come down to earth. They looked with the eyes of love and found that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten that we might not perish and have everlasting life. That is what the gift of Gerber means. And we willingly give the gift of murder to God, the gift of our willing suffering, maybe sometimes, but it is often otherwise. We resent illness and unhappiness. We expect God to show us favor just because we do a few things for Him. If we show Him mass, He should be grateful and reward us. We write about every problem, about the state of the church and the world, as if God owes us more. And yet Jesus told us plainly, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. He told us, they will hate you and cast you out for my name's sake. And if we follow a God who drags a cross, who wears the crown of thorns, a God who will accept death as a criminal and offer that death freely out of love, why should we not bear our own little crosses? Is it not a sign of our love for him that we accept and embrace him? But I do. And maybe you know I do. So the Magi, not Christians, not even Jews, knew things of supreme importance. Be quiet, listen to God, look for his son. When you see those signs, act them. Do what you believe he asks. Set aside what you desire and follow him. Don't worry about possessions or position. Make God your own. When you find him, accept him as your king, worship him as your God, and accept the suffering that comes because he loves you. And if you do these things, you will be a wise person 